How are we all doing this morning? Good? Goodness me. We're clearly letting people know too soon who's preaching, because where is everyone? <laughs> we might have to delay that a little bit, you know, leave it... Uh, true, yeah. We'll, we'll say it's that anyway. Um, good to see everyone this morning anyway. Today, um, we're going to be looking at the last book in the New Testament. Uh, sorry, in the Old Testament. <laughs> Not Revelation. Uh, yeah, yeah. You thought for a second there, didn't you? Um, in the Old Testament. Now, it's just a little book, four chapters long, and it's called Malachi, okay, which is the name of the prophet. Um, and it means my messenger. Malachi means my messenger. So Malachi is God's messenger writing to God's people. So if you're one of God's people, this message is for you. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Dear Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts this morning to hear this message, Lord God. Um, I pray there's going to be some challenges in it, Lord, and that we would all, including myself, be open to hearing them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we get into this book uh, of Malachi this morning, rather than bore you and bury you with a whole lot of detail about the background and the circumstances that prompted the writing of this book, let me condense it down a little bit. Um, to this. So we have a prophet by the name of Malachi who was commissioned by God with one purpose in mind. And that one purpose was this. He was commissioned, lost my place already. (laughs) He was commissioned by God. um, Well, he was called to help reestablish the standards of excellence amongst God's people. Um, That's the primary purpose of this little book, to re-establish standards of excellence amongst God's people. Now, when management expert Peter Drucker was still alive, he often talked about how um, one of the most important functions of leadership is to uphold standards of excellence. To uphold standards of excellence. Well, he said, for the simple reason that without consistent promptings, Hear this, without consistent promptings, excellence and excellent standards always drift south, so they get worse. And church, if you're involved with any kind of organisation, business, institution, school, with any kind of desire for excellence, you know that's true, don't you? And listen, that's what's happening with the attitudes, behaviours and relationships in Malachi's day. Everything was drifting south. Everything was getting worse. People's spiritual commitments were drifting south. Their marriages were drifting south. Their family relationships were drifting south. Their money management and their morals were all drifting south. Everything was headed in the wrong direction. So God appointed a courageous and straight-talking guy by the name of Malachi to come and help re-establish the standards of excellence, and to challenge his people to live up to them. Now, with that intro, let's turn to Malachi 1, if you want. And as you turn there, let me just give you a little bit of background to help set the stage. So, hundreds of years prior to Malachi's day, God had instructed his people that whenever it was time for them to bring a lamb to the temple as a worship offering, that they were to walk through their herds and find their very best lambs. You know, the blue badge winning lambs. 
the ones that would bring the most money in market. Which, of course, for a shepherd, makes no sense at all, right? I mean, as a shepherd, you want to keep those lambs. You want to breed those lambs. You want to sell those lambs for top money. But God says, when you make an offering to me in worship, make it an excellent offering. Church, that's the standard. An excellent offering. And there are a number of reasons for this. But it all boils down to these two in my mind. Number one, from the very beginning of time, God has always given his very best. It's called divine excellence. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And number two, hundreds of years later, God was going to give them his very best lamb. He was going to give them his one and only son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate sacrifice. As the perfect lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So when God, through the sacrificial system, asked his people to give their very very best lamb, he was doing it too. He was doing it to remind them of all that he had already done and to prepare them for what he was going to do in the giving of his very best lamb. So he told them, the standard for lambs is excellence. You give me your best because I have always and will always give you you mine. And church, for a time, all the people of God honoured that standard of excellence. They did. They brought their very best lambs, their prize-winning lambs, to the temple for an offering. But then things changed dramatically. So now I want us to listen to what's happening in Malachi's day and listen to God's response to it. In Malachi 1, starting at verse 8, When you bring blind animals, so they brought all kinds of different animals um, for sacrifice, but to keep it simple, I'm just going to focus on the lambs. So when you bring blind lambs for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased lambs, is that not wrong? Try offering that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Jumping down to, to verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no such offerings from your hands. My name is to be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. So do we get the picture here? Let's look at it. When the time of sacrifice came, these people, instead of searching through their flocks to try and find their very best lambs to bring to the temple, they were actually doing the opposite. They were actually searching for their worthless lambs, the ones that were blind or crippled, the ones that were you know, leaning up against a fence post about to die. And when they found them, they'd say, hey, here's the one we don't need. Here's the one that's not going to bring any money at the market. He's the worst lamb in the entire herd. So they'd pick it up and probably run with it as fast as they could before it died. Um, and then they'd place it on the altar. And then they'd say, there you go, God. There's your worship. Hope you like it. 
Now, Malachi, who was sent by God to speak to this, says, what? Hope he likes it. God doesn't like it at all. In fact, the whole thing offends him so much that it would be better if you brought no lamb at all than to bring a blemished one. God says, if you're going to bring me less than your best, then forget the fires, shut the temple doors, and leave your offerings at home. Leave them at home. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been where these people are at? Have you ever tried to play a spiritual game with God? Where you try to figure out the bare minimum that you can give to God without actually offending him? Have you been there? I have. I know I have. There have been times in my life where I was so wrapped up in me and what I was doing, what I wanted, what I was going to be, that it never dawned on me to give God my best. Instead, if God got anything, he got my leftovers, my leftover time, my leftover energy, my leftover talents, my leftover money. That's all he was getting. And at that time, that was all he was going to get. And what's really scary thinking about it now, it didn't bother me that my worthless leftovers might actually offend God. I didn't care. I was so wrapped up in me that I thought God would be happy with any kind of little scrap of attention that I gave him. Any little bone of honour that might just happen to toss his way. Now, when God began to break through to me, it really felt like he was turning my world upside down and forcing me to rethink everything. Not the least of which is this concept of divine excellence. Have you ever thought about that? Divine excellence. Well, that's where I want us to go right now. And to do that, we need to go back to the very beginning of time. In the very beginning of time, one of the first things we learn about God is that God demonstrates excellence in all of his creation. All of it. I mean, by any standard, God did an incredible job, right? An excellent job when he created the heavens and the earth. I mean, spend a single morning climbing in the mountains or an afternoon along by the beach or an evening underneath the stars. Give God a mark out of ten. It's 10 out of 10 at least, isn't it? Go to the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, the Great Barrier Reef. Would you give God 5 out of 10? 7 out of 10? Or full marks? I know what I'd give. Or think about the wonder of God creating human beings, male and female, in his own image. With bodies and minds and spirits marvelously complex creatures with physical and emotional and spiritual capabilities that boggle the imagination. It's excellent, right? You've got to give God an excellent mark. Or what about when these magnificent human beings balled up their little fists and rebelled against God? Pretty early in the story. Instead of stomping them out, 
for their insurrection. God demonstrated excellent patience. He keeps loving and encouraging and working with these rebellious creatures century after century after century, millennia after millennia after millennia. Excellent patience. And then one day he leads his people across a barren wilderness from Egypt to Canaan, hundreds of miles with a guidance system more complex than any GPS system we use today. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Try getting around the M25 with that. And never a single degree off course, not once. Excellent guidance by God for his people. Another time in the Old Testament, God delivered his people from the hands of their enemies, even though they were outnumbered more than 300 to 1. Excellent protection God gave his people. From time to time, God would deliver his people from famine and from drought, offering them excellent provision, water from a rock or manna from heaven. Excellent provision. Life-saving provision. The Old Testament is filled with the excellent acts of God. And then when you get into the New Testament, you begin to read that when the time was right, God sent his absolute best. The best he had to give his son. John 3 says he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, who then sets the eternal standards for his excellence. Excellence in teaching. No one has ever taught like Jesus taught. Excellence in wisdom and integrity. Even Jesus' detractors couldn't find fault with his life. Excellence in love. No one has ever loved like Jesus loved. His love was of another kind. Jesus redefined excellence at every turn. So when it came time for Jesus to pay the price for your sin and mine, he died an excellent death. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus died an excellent death. I mean, he carried his own cross. He forgave those who were pounding the nails into his hands and feet. He said, Father, forgive them. Don't lay this charge against them. They don't know what they're doing. He made arrangements for his mother to be taken care of, while at the same very time, he was making the ultimate redemptive arrangement for you and me. And in his final moments, he made room for one more sinner in his coming kingdom, the thief on the cross. And then at the end, he cried out, It is finished. Taking upon himself the sin of the world, paying the price for your sins and mine. He died an excellent death. No one has ever died a death as excellent as Jesus' death because he died voluntarily. He died for a cause, and that cause is you, and that cause is me. And of course, he pulled off an excellent resurrection. I mean, quick and clean. He left his body wrapping undisturbed. And then he showed himself to various people in various places. He showed himself to more than 500 people at one time. And then he took the express lift home to be with his father in an excellent ascension. And then, of course, he sent his excellent spirit. I'm saying excellent a lot, aren't I? He sent his excellent spirit, his Holy Spirit, 
so that each of us as his followers could become carriers of his power and presence. What an excellent gift the Holy Spirit is. And then what happened? He launched an excellent dynamic organism called the church, which would express his excellent love to others through the generations. And that would give his followers a family to belong to and a mission to commit their lives to. And scripture tells us that today he's preparing an excellent eternity for each and every one of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Scripture says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived the kind of excellence that we're going to enjoy with him in heaven. Can't even imagine it. And between here and there, Scripture says, as we follow Christ, he's going to give us excellent lives. Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that you might have life and have life to its full. Friends, when you and I are truly beginning to see the big picture of how truly excellent our God is, when we do that, then we can begin to understand why the book of Revelation says that one day, at the very end of time, every single one of us as believers are going to join together with a chorus of heavenly angels and we're going to stand before our high and holy God and we're going to cry out, worthy, worthy, worthy. Excellent, excellent, excellent is our Lord God Almighty. And on that day, God won't be getting any 5 out of 10s, 7 out of 10s, 9 out of 10s. It's going to be full marks the whole way. Just excellence. So let's go back to Malachi chapter 1. Don't worry too much about actually turning. I was just saying it so I could have a drink. Um, Malachi chapter 1, where the prophet, he simply asks, how should a human being respond? How should we respond to the excellent activities of the one true God? What should we do? What kind of offering, what kind of lamb do you bring to a God like this that I've been speaking about? Well, Malachi says, let me give you a hint. A blemished lamb is not the right answer. The one leaning against your fence post about to die is not the right answer. The blind one, the crippled one, the worthless one is not the right answer. Don't bring the wrong kind of lamb to the one who has never given anything but his very, very best for you. Don't do it. God isn't there to take your leftovers or your scraps or your bones. Better you bring no lamb at all than to bring stuff like that. You know, church, sooner or later, we're all going to have to sit down and think about this for ourselves. Sooner or later, we're going to have to answer Malachi's question and decide the quality of the lamb, the quality of the time, the quality of the talents, the quality of the treasures that you are going to offer to the one true God who has given his best, his very best to you. You know, few biblical principles have rocked my world like this one. The concept of divine excellence. Now, how is God working this in me? Well, you know, when God started dealing with this with me, he made it absolutely clear to me that I needed to make an excellent commitment back to him. 
You know, more specifically, I needed to move from my conditional relationship to God to a place completely unknown to me, a place I'd never been before, and I didn't really want to go. God was calling me to make an unconditional commitment to him. You see, much like the children of Israel, early in my life, I made a commitment to God. I did. But it was conditional. It was conditional. In other words, when the conditions were right, I followed him. But when they weren't, I didn't. And over time, I got to the point that, like the children of Israel, I was only giving God my scraps, my leftovers, the bones. And in my spirit, I began to hear God say to me, Dan, I don't want your scraps or leftovers. I don't want your bones. I want all of you or nothing. I mean, what's an appropriate commitment to someone who stopped at nothing, who paid the ultimate price in his commitment to me? What's the appropriate commitment? We can say, Lord, I'm yours. Take my life and let it be consecrated to him. Take my hands and use them for your glory. Take my feet so that wherever I go, I lift you up. Take my mind, fill it with your truth. Take my mouth and let me tell your stories. Take my heart and clean it up and fill it with your presence. And Lord, let your light shine through me so that when others see me, they see you. We can say this. We can say, use me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Send me, Lord. I'm yours. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I have to give up. I don't care where you call me to go. I'd rather have you than anything. We can say that. And that's wonderful. That's honorable. That's noble. But Malachi says it's not. He says in God's eyes, that kind of unconditional, unabashed commitment isn't honorable or noble at all. He says it's the norm. It's what God expects. It's what his love and provision demands of us. Our leftovers are not enough. The truth is, when I made an unconditional commitment to God, I'm doing it because he already has. Hear this. He already has made an unconditional commitment to me. My best for his best. His best for my best. In C.S. Lewis's classic children's book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, classic, uh, in the last book called The Last Battle, the main characters enter into heaven after the last battle is over. And C.S. Lewis sort of depicts this heaven much like a beautiful garden, only indescribably more beautiful than any garden his characters have ever seen before. And as they stand there in awe and wonder, they notice a door. And as they go through the door, to their utter amazement, there before them is another garden. Only this time, it's indescribably more beautiful and more vast than the one before. And so they begin to wander from garden to garden to garden. And each time, the garden is bigger and more beautiful than the last one. And so as they experience this, their hearts begin to cry out further up and deeper in. Further up and deeper in. They want to experience more and more of God's beauty and wonder. Further up and deeper in. 
Church, since the day I removed the terms and conditions on my commitment to God, my heart's cry has been God further up and deeper in. Not because I am noble or honourable, hear me, I'm not, but because I have experienced a beauty, I've experienced a wonder, I've experienced a purpose, I've experienced a love that compels me to go further up and deeper in with him. That's why from that day, my worship has never been the same. Worship is not just some event that I go to. Worship is the life that I choose to live. Why? Not because somebody told me to. Not because of some list of expectations. Because of his love. It's a response to his excellent love. And it compels me. It compels me. I want to go further up and deeper in with him. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, the love of God constrains me. That means the love of God has him in his grip. Friends, when the love of God has you in its grip, when you find out the quality and depth of God's love for you, then you want to go further up and deeper in. You want to give him your best lamb, your best affections, your best time and talents and treasures because nothing else will do. In Acts 20, 24, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only, and here's his passion coming through, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given to me. Church, when you fully experience God's excellent love and plan and purpose for your life, then you want to use all you've been given, all your time, all your talents and all your treasures for his glory. You want to go further up and deeper in. Now hear this. There are people in the church today, maybe ours, I'm sure there are in others, who think they ought to be able to take their very best God-given abilities and talents and pour them exclusively into their own kingdoms into their own professions, into their own careers. And then reluctantly, they think that they ought to be able to just take a little scrap of skill, a little scrap of talent, and present them to God. And then they think that God and all the heavens ought to bow down and rejoice because they brought their leftovers to him. But do you know what Malachi would say to that? He'd say, get it out. Take it home. God doesn't want your scraps. He doesn't want your scraps of time. He doesn't want your scraps of your talent. And he doesn't want your scraps of treasures. In fact, he says, if that's all you've got, then kill the fires. Close the temple doors and go home because he's not interested. Let me be real with you here. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm really not. But to be honest, I'm not trying to be soft either. Why? Because I don't want to one day stand before the high and holy God of heaven and be responsible in part for condoning a level of commitment to him that he doesn't accept. Believe me, I've thought and prayed about this message this week and I finally came to the point where I had to say, God, I just want all of us to see your standard. I just want all of us to hear what you want us to say through Malachi. 
And then I want all of us to have to deal with the trauma of that. Because it is traumatic. You know, we're asking to give our all to God. Our time. Our talents. Our money. That's hard. That's a lot to deal with. But here's the standard that Malachi says. Only your best. Only your best commitment. Only your best affections. Only your best contributions of time, talents and treasures. For the one who has given nothing less than his best for you. His best for your best. Now this isn't something that I've completed. I'm still working on it, I promise you. You know, sometimes when I'm brave, I wish I could go around this room, look you all in the eye and say, okay, how about you? How about you? Have you formally, thoughtfully, unashamedly, unconditionally made a commitment to God? Saying, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I'll be whatever you want me to be. Lord, lead me. I'm yours. It's easy to pat ourselves on the back sometimes for a 50% commitment to God. Or an 80% commitment to God. Or even a 90% commitment to God. But Malachi would say 90% is still 10% short. Still a blemished lamb. Better you offer no lamb at all than to offer God a blemished lamb. Malachi's a fiery guy. um, Which is why God uses him to re-establish the standards of excellence. Malachi says, here's the bar, and the bar's not moving. God has never done anything less than his best in any activity he's ever done. He's never demonstrated less than an excellent love, an excellent provision, an excellent protection, an excellent guidance for you. And when he saved you, he saved you with an excellent salvation. So God says, in return, make an excellent commitment back to me. Bring me the very best that you have to give. Are we doing that this morning? No scraps, no bones, no leftovers. Your best for his best. As I was preparing this week, I spent some time wondering what would happen in our church. What would happen in Enfield? What would happen in this country if all of us in his church were giving our best lambs to God? Can you imagine? Because God can. Let's do it for him. Because it is the only appropriate response to the excellent love and sacrifice that our excellent God has given to us. Amen? I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would do what I can't do, which is to drive this message into the very bone and marrow of every single person here today. And God, I pray for those who are investigating Christianity, that after hearing this message about how every one of us has been loved by God with an excellent love, and we're given the opportunity to experience an excellent salvation, and an excellent eternity, I pray that even now they would bow their heads 
open their hearts before you and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I repent. I turn from my way and I want to go your way. I invite you to bring your excellent love and forgiveness into my life. And I promise an excellent commitment and affection in return. God, may that happen in this room, even at this very moment. And Lord God, for Christians whose standards of excellence might have been drifting south for too long, Lord, give us all a wake-up call from heaven today. Remind us where the bar is, where the excellent standard is. And Lord, move powerfully through our hearts and minds so that we would be compelled to make an unconditional commitment to you that we would be filled with a growing affection and desire for you. And Lord, let us wrestle every single day with how we can take our time, talents and treasures and further your kingdom in this world. And God, we ask you to lead us in this. We pray in Jesus' name.